This episode is brought to us by Mike Sussman, Michael Sussman, which is uh, not quite accurate. It would be more accurate to say that basically everyone was involved in this episode. This episode is actually two separate ideas that kind of collided with each other and has been piecemeal put together by pretty much everyone in the writing room. There's a... Shatner came out with... So, let me rewind a second. Shatner and Kodo and I think Braga were talking about the show, and Shatner wanted to pitch an idea. The general idea was that the Tantalus field, you remember that thing back in uh, Mirror Mirror? It didn't actually destroy you, it actually sent you back in time and to another dimension. It was supposed to be a humane way of dealing with prisoners, you know, a humane way of punishment. Remember, Mirror Kirk stole that from someone else. So, Mirror Kirk has it used on him, he ends up back in the, you know, in his older age, at about the age Shatner was at the time, and he ends up back in the past. He's like, ah. But then Archer and the Enterprise show up, and he's like, aha, perfect. I'll take the Enterprise, and I'll command it, and then I'll be able to get back and get back to my own time. But it's not there. The mirror universe isn't there at all. So they do some looking into it, and it turns out the mirror universe doesn't exist yet. And thus, Mirror, Shatner, and Archer would have to work together to create the Mirror Universe, to, to make the d d schism in the timelines in order to ensure that that happened. Interesting. That was shot down in favor of another idea, which I'm not even going to recount for you because it doesn't matter. And Shatner didn't like that idea. And so nothing came of it. No Shatner. I bring this up, though, because... Well, actually, really quick. First of all, uh, if that idea sounds a little bit... Kirky, do remember that most of his stuff has been like that. I'm not dismissing it, I'm just pointing it out, because that idea was mostly posited by the Reeves-Stevens crew. They've done a d decent amount of work with Shatner over the years. In fact, are basically the ones responsible for writing the Shatnerverse books. I don't know what they're officially called, and I don't care. It's the one where Kirk it keeps going after Generations and turns into this whole big thing. They're actually surprisingly entertaining, and I firmly credit the, Steve, the Reeve Stevens crew for the fact that they are actually entertaining, because there's some decent world-building and some ideas and a whole lot of continuity in them. And also, Kirk is super amazing at every step of the way. And so is Mirror Kirk. Spoilers. But the point is, the point is, I recommend you read them if you were not going around to it, but all of that just left that idea kind of percolating in the back of their head. Meanwhile, an idea was pitched way back. You remember Future Tense? I don't blame you if you forgot it. It's the one where they find the little pod that's like Doctor Whoian with the inside being larger than the outside. They find the person on board and it's from the future. You remember that episode? Anyways, that was supposed to be the Defiant. Not not Cisco's Defiant. The one from TOS. Mir uh, Tholian Webb. The one that just vanishes. You remember that? So that was supposed to be where the Defiant ended up, and now we see it here. The problem is they kept staring at this, and I know this sounds crazy, but they really didn't want to break continuity that badly. So they're like, let's not. Let, let, let's not do that. So they just kind of shelved that idea and just kind of sat on it for quite a while. The other thing, though, is they really wanted to do more Mirror Universe in general. An idea was posited, and again, it, there's so many people involved here. I'm not naming names because it's pretty much the entire writing crew. But idea was posited why don't we set an entire episode in the Mirror Universe, just the Mirror Universe people, as kind of a way to stretch? Because stretch episodes usually are popular and usually are a good way to degauss for the creative staff and are fun for the actors. Uh, a good example of that would be 
I don't remember the name of the episode, Voyager. It's an episode where it's way in the future, and they're reading uh, these historical documents of Voyager, and, and they're incredibly inaccurate. You know, it's, it's good stretch material, and this kind of stuff usually is well-received. So why don't we just set an entire episode in the Mirror Universe, and we'll accomplish all of these objectives. We could have the Defiant show up, because it doesn't alter the timeline. In fact, actually, as the Reeve Stevens crew pointed out, it will actually plug a plot hole, not, fill, not, not create one. I'm not going to explain why yet. That'll come up next episode. All I'm going to say right now is remember that this Terran Empire is at the same relative time as the, the Federation doesn't even exist yet over in our timeline. Just keep that in mind. It's going to be relevant. And they're having these huge issues with this rebellion. But anyways, anyways. So we've, we're plugging a plot hole. We've got the fun thing. We bring in the mirror universe. Win, 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 right? It's probably no surprise to say that this is among the most popular episodes of Enterprise ever. It is t near the top of almost every single favorite episodes list that I found. And everyone I know, with one exception, praises this episode constantly. Uh, these episodes. Sorry, I'm, I'm counting them as one. The, the two-parter. That's the other thing. They were like, oh, we really want to do this, but how are we going to make that happen? And they're like, well, make it a two-parter. As I've said before, a two-parter is cheaper to do than a single-parter. Because the, the rates and pay for the stuff that stretches out across two episodes is different than for one singular episode. And thus it is cheaper to hire someone for two episodes than for one, because of the way this, the accounting works on those. And it does make sense. It's not just creative accounting. So... They make it a two-parter. They can afford it. They can have fun with it. They have the mirror universe, and they've got some plot hole conclusion stuff. Great! Um, I do want to mention something, though. There's a scene on the Defiant Bridge in this episode in particular where they wanted to have an extra, say, a line. They couldn't. They couldn't afford one extra to do a speaking role. If you ever wondered how tight the budget was in Season 4 Enterprise, that tight. It's right up there with season one of, of TNG. As I've been researching the behind the scenes here, it's almost analogous uh, in terms of how ridiculously stretched the budget was for these episodes. It is nothing short of astonishing that they were able to make these episodes at all. Anyways, so this episode, um, I want to mention James Conway. He's the one who directs this episode. This is his final contribution to Trek. Saying a lot of those nowadays. We got another one coming up too. Um, but. He he's only directed 18 episodes of Trek, but his first episode he ever directed was Justice. Now I know that's a crap episode, but and it should have been a lamentation, but we hadn't defined them that way yet. But that was season one, episode eight of TNG. He has been directing with Trek for a while. Um let's see here. One other thing I wanted to comment on. Uh, you know what? No, I'll save it for next time. I'll save it for next week. I'll save it for next week. Now, this leads to one of those funny things about time travel when it's used properly. I've always liked time travel when it's actually kind of clever. Because what this means is that the Tholian web leads to, in a mirror darkly, leads to, uh, mirror mirror, leads to the Tholian web. Except not literally. But the, the path is quite linear. There's no issues here. No, no, no plot holes. No mistakes, no flaws. In fact, like I said, this even helps to explain something that Mirror Mirror, by logical discourse of Enterprise, was turning into a plot hole, even though it, it wasn't designed to be. Again, I'll talk more about that next week. So, 
we uh, Von Armstrong. I'm just going to mention that really quick. Well, he will obviously he dies in this episode. Th- thus, this makes Von Armstrong's final appearance in track. He's been around for a while, again, since season one of TNG, actually. He played the Klingon. I didn't write his name down. But he has been around for a while. He's been a good guest star, and he has been awesome. Uh, He's always had just kind of a nice affability to him and an intensity to the way he acts, and he's awesome, and it's a shame to see him go. A lot of goodbyes as we round up here. Now, (laughs) then we have a cold open. So, first of all, they do the first contact thing. I've heard several people comment on how weird this looks. It's probably because of the literal different cameras. Remember, they're using substantially cheaper digital cameras for the Enterprise footage, and they're just using the footage from First Contact, which was shot on film uh, reels, whatever they were actually using for First Contact. So you can literally see the difference between the two, and it kind of makes a contrast. It's not a big deal. I just wanted to mention it. It's a, it's a good scene. They do a good job with it. And... This, this is for the fans. (laughs) No one who has ever not seen, like, let me take that back. This, this cold open would have none of the impact if not for the fact that you were already a Trek fan who already knows what, you know, first contact is and probably at least have an idea of what the mirror universe is. And that's season four in a nutshell, isn't it? This is the next thing I wanted to talk about. By all accounts, the last episode, Bound, was designed to be... Was that the last episode? Whenever it was. Was designed to be a callback to TOS and a love letter to the fans kind of a thing. And surely that'll be the last time we hear the phrase love letter to the fans in season four. In my opinion, In a Mirror Darkly, part one and two, zigs in every way that Bound zagged. In this case, it's actually playing to your knowledge and understanding of Trek and the investment we already have while, again, being cohesive, but also fun. There's just a general fun air to this. It's not... I don't know how to put it. It's it's not like... It, it embraces how ridiculous the mirror universe is, while at the same time somehow actually making that work. And I think that's critical, because if you go too dark with the mirror universe, well, you get Discovery Season 1, don't you? Reminder, I have not seen Discovery at all. But I am aware of certain sections of Discovery Season 1, and instead, this manages to be enjoyable in part, or indeed in whole, because of the fact that they embrace that ridiculous cheesiness of the mwahaha plotting. It's, it's evil Sith. No, I'm serious. When you play evil Sith like this, they're enjoyable. But if you actually picture what a Sith would be like, really, how twisted and demented and torturous and violent and horrible a Sith would actually be, that is dark, unpleasant, and just just disgusting. It's the kind of thing I don't even want on my screen. And thus you see the contrast. Anywho, <clears throat> so wonderful cold open. And then, <gasps> credits! Actually good opening credits! Oh my god! I'm not even joking. I have been skipping the opening credits for... Uh, the better part of a couple weeks now as I've been going through Season 3 and Season 4. Yeah, I, it's actually taken me longer than it should because I had the car issues and then I had some health issues. But it has been about two and a half weeks, if you ever wonder the timeline on these. I should have been done three days ago, just to give you perspective. I will finish tomorrow. Anyways, and this whole time I have been skipping the intro song because screw that intro song. And yet, finally, 
there's an intro song I don't want to skip, but I'm just like, yes, this is great. Why couldn't we have always done this before? Which leads me to an interesting point. <laughs> One of the things that has been desired ever since TNG, about season four-ish, is the desire to do a special intro credit sequence. Just, just for a couple specific episodes. It's the final boss mentality. Let me explain that. There's a design philosophy when it comes to video games that the final boss should be special. It should be separate. It should be something that you do something unique in, either in terms of mechanics or graphics or design, or you just do something special. It needs to be unique and distinct because it's the final boss, right? It's the same idea for a, for a unique and distinct episode, something really important and really powerful. For whatever reason, you do the different credits. This always fell through. That actually kind of surprises me because there were several times in TNG and DS9 when both were at, were, you know, doing fine, where they could have done that and the option was no. They finally got away with it here. Well, partially because the rules were being thrown out the window. Remember, they were willing to try new things, but also partially because the effects and design of that new intro were done after they received the news they were, news they were canceled. So at this point, it was more or less literally screw it. And so they did the new intro. Now, understandably, doing a different intro every week is insanity. You know, that's that takes a lot of time and effort and investment, and it will be difficult to maintain creativity as you're going forwards. But for unique moments like this, that's great stuff. Anywho, that then leads to uh, the Agony Booth. God, the Agony Booth's messed up. Like, really messed up. You're in there, and you're just left locked in there, and it just, it, it cycles around how it tortures you. And it tortures you directly, which history and science has proven can actually cause literal nerve damage. If you just stimulate the nerves directly like that, like that can cause a chemical breakdown. I'm probably misspeaking on this, but I, I understand the vague concepts. So that's horrible and screwed up. Thankfully, it's mostly played for laughs here, even though at one point they mentioned that Archer was in the booth for 10 hours. Contrast this to Discovery for a scene I've actually seen in Discovery where we just see a, a, a empty bay of people who are just left in agony booths, which are just left on. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyways, Ka Hoshi casually manipulates Forrest. There's Vaughn's character. And um, it, she does it in a wonderful way. I'll admit I've done this before, too, to my dismay. It's when you say a fact deliberately wrong in order to get everyone to jump on you like, oh, well, that's wrong. And they immediately try to correct you. And, and you do it so that you can get information they might not otherwise tell you, because they have to correct you. Anywho, <clears throat> this then cuts to uh, Archer, who is a little bit unhinged. He's is doing this thing where he's like clenching every muscle in his upper body at the same time. We'll actually see more of this next time, but it is funny to watch. And Reed is just outright sadistic. At the very end of this episode, his own ship is destroyed, and Reed can barely restrain a grin at the sight of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, he takes command, and he fi we find out that Archer is against Vulcans. What a shock. No, I mean to an extent that Archer, our Archer, never was. Mirror Archer, I'm not going to say Mirror before every single one of these. Mirror Archer is horrifically anti-Vulcan. He, he hates the Vulcans, and that'll also come up later. But it's okay, because they're slaves. Now, now get off my bridge. He then selects uh, Travis as his personal bodyguard. Now, maybe I'm an idiot, but if I was planning a coup or a mutiny or whatever, I would probably try to select my loyal personal bodyguard before I militarily take control of the ship. I don't know, that's just me. 
Anyways, this then leads to Hoshi walking into Mir Archer's room. Just a quick glance at Travis as she's walking by. We find out that the reason Archer's keeping Forrest alive is to secure her help. And then she tries to kill him right after she ingratiates herself into him. Thankfully, Archer, and sorry, Mir Archer is a moron and decides to keep her around. After all, he still needs her. Right. This is as good a time as any to mention that the... What? Uh, they, they clearly have slightly better technology and more ships in their fleet because of the fact that they claimed the Vulcans and conquered the Tellarites. They're still relatively new on the block. They're still not super powerful. They're still having trouble putting down their own rebellion. But you can see why they're not at a level of preeminence here. Nevertheless, they do have things like tractor beams, for example, which they didn't have before, just to mention a specific example of that. And there's a few other little touches I'm not going to bore you with. One of the most amusing things I kept thinking of, though, is they keep shooting each other on the Enterprise as they're going through the episode. And I just found myself thinking, are those set to stun? I'm pretty sure they confirm in Part 2 that they are set to stun. And in fact, there's a bit in this one where uh, Forrest turns up the... the the setting on his phaser before shooting him, or before threatening to shoot Archer. So that kind of makes me think they were set to stun, but it's funny to think about because, I mean, it's the mirror universe. They can do whatever they want, right? Just kill each other. It's cool. It's cool. Anyways, so they go tractor beam the Tholian ship, drag it over, get him on board, and decide to interrogate the Tholian. And all they do is a minor temperature change of 50 degrees. I thought about figuring out the math on this, but then I'd have to do it in Celsius and Fahrenheit. So all I'm going to say is that 50 degree drop, even in Kelvin, is going to be a pretty significant drop in temperature. That's kind of horrific. Then they drop it down to 100 degrees below comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's horrific. But, you know, it's it's a minor change. Archer, of course, is still a terrible boss. Not only is he uh, giving unreasonable demands, the classic terrible boss move, but then he decides to interrogate Forrest. Now, you're probably thinking, what's so bad about that? Well, he demands to know of Forrest, who did Admiral Black send to spy on you? Uh, Ar- Archer, you, you, you're an idiot. It's going to be a recurring theme, by the way. <laughs> so... Tucker then goes into the agony booth. The only reason I'm even mentioning this particular tidbit is because apparently Trenier does a good job of simulating and acting what it would be like to have your nerves directly tortured. And he apparently spends four hours in there, so that's nice. I mentioned that because several people in the crew, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes audio commentary on this episode, the several members of the crew actually found it legitimately disturbing to watch Trenier gesticulating and and, ter- and ah, as he's in there. And I agree, he does a really good job of selling the agony of the agony booth. It's, uh, it's messed up, once again. Meanwhile, while Tucker is being tortured, his loyal first engineer is being t- tortured, uh, Archer decides to go off and have sex. You ever heard the saying that the brain needs to, the the other head needs to be disengaged for the brain to re-engage? Let's put it that way. As soon as he does this, he puts together, wait a minute, Tucker couldn't have done this. He's innocent. I need to go after Paul. <laughs> now, what's funny about this is this is when the only time Archer is smart in the whole episode. He anticipates the possibility of having a counter-mutiny against his mutiny. So he locks the ship in in a way that he cannot stop it. 
no problem there. Him being out of control doesn't matter. He wants to go to the location. And if anyone else takes over, well, they're stuck. Meanwhile, he sends off a message to Fleet Admiral uh, Gardner in order to be like, Hey, um, here's my data. Here's my plans. Please give me official standing to do this. And then the counter-mutiny happens, and he just walks in like, Hey, so we're stuck. <laughs> Naturally, he gets to spend ten hours in the booth for that. I legitimately can't even picture that. I've been in horrific pain in my life, to the point where I lost the ability to function, where I was having difficulty breathing and could not stand. I can't picture just being like that for ten hours at a time. I really can't. Or maybe I just don't want to. Either way, <laughs> this leads to an amusing scene because the science director has determined that there is no such thing as alternate universes. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Anyways, at 31 minutes, we get introduced to The Defiant. And I have to admit, when I first saw this episode, it was literally a aha kind of a moment for me. Because, of course, I knew about Tholian Webb. And, of course, I, I was already thinking that direction because Tholians. And then I see the thing and I was like, yes! Okay, okay, okay. I see where you're going with this. And it just kind of it was, it was a nice little nice little ha-ha moment for me. Turns out... They scan it, and there's a, there's a reptile over there for some reason. That's strange. Why is there a reptilian? Ah, oh, I'm sure it doesn't matter. Either way, then we get to the bridge. This is where a lot of the budget went, right here. This is actually a new set, and it, it's piece. It, they've kind of done some things with it. It's built onto the bones of another set, but this is still a new set, and they did a very good job of it, both with the sound effects and the visual design. They also really took their time to actually rewatch episodes uh, the episodes the scenes in the episode Tholian Web in order to make sure that they saw the exact specific locations where everyone was so that everyone is laying in the same way they even make sure that the captain died of a broken neck just to make sure that's clear in fact they only screw up two things and they're so minor I'm not even going to tell you about them it's just nice to see that someone put that level of care and attention into the exact continuity since they should be in the same manner that they were when they were when they can when they came over, right, from the Tholian web. So that's awesome. They also then actually shoot the Tholian web. And we see that while this is a terrifying weapon, and it is, it's also very limited. It effectively relies on a stationary target. It, it, it's like a sneak attack, right? In D&D, you can only... Okay, that's a bad example, because you can do a sneak attack for a lot of reasons. But, you know, it, it's like a, a a bonus round, a surprise round. You can only do it when you have them completely out off guard and have the time and effort to set up this thing before they can do anything about it. Otherwise, they just get away, and that's the end of that, right? Still, very useful. Very useful. Kind of starts smashing everything in, and we're all just sitting there waiting for the Enterprise to survive. And then the escape pods start going on, and it's like, wait a minute. And some of them can escape the web, which actually makes me wonder if, you know, it's, it's literally like the space in between the, the beams. Is that the space you can just go through? That's interesting to think about. Either way, they manage to escape. Some of them don't, of course. And <sighs> the Enterprise has exploded. Vaughn dies. Excuse me. Uh, Forrest dies. Again, that's the end of Vaughn Armstrong. And we cut into a to-be-continued. You'll notice I don't have much to analyze here. That's because some of the anal analytical stuff comes in next time, and most of this stuff was more set up and build up. Allow me to go ahead and reiterate my opinion, though. This is good. I like this. I like this episode a lot. 
I was actually hesitant on putting up the lights because I wanted to do something with the lighting since, you know, the lighting is always different there. But if I do my typical darkened lighting thing, then you'd think, oh, well, you know, because I already did that for damage. But if I do the, the dark lighting with the red, then you assume lamentation, which this is certainly not. So I was just like, oh, shoot, what do I do? So I kind of compromised. I hope you liked said compromise. And I hope that you will enjoy when I see you next time.